Welcome to the PSRB Lawcast from the offices of Pellegrini, Seeley, Ryan, and Blakesley. I'm your host, Adam Wright. And each episode, we bring you information about the various aspects of personal injury law. And we understand that approaching a law firm to help you can often be intimidating, which is why this podcast is designed to make personal injury law just a bit easier to understand and to help you navigate the process with greater comfort. Remember, every case is different, and in order for us to provide you with accurate information and advice relevant to your specific circumstances, it's important to set up an appointment with one of our attorneys to meet in person. The information presented today is general information purposes only. Today we're going to be discussing a critical element of the personal injury claim process, surveillance. And our guest attorney today to help break it down for us is Charlie Casertello. The firm's managing partner since 1990, attorney Casertello has committed his professional life to representing injured workers. Charlie's concentrated his practice in personal injury litigation, workers' compensation, and social security law. He's experienced in employment and labor law. And attorney Casertello has represented injured people and labor unions throughout Massachusetts. Charlie's been recognized for his incredible work in the issues of workers' health and safety and has been awarded the prestigious William Pinchon Award, given to individuals whose lives and achievements typify the ideals of promoting citizenship and the building of better communities in western Massachusetts. Charlie has also received the Massachusetts Bar Association Community Service Award and was recently inducted in the College of Workers' Compensation Attorneys. A skilled negotiator dedicated to serving his clients by focusing on their individual needs. He is known as a thorough, aggressive, and responsible advocate, and we so appreciate him taking some time out of his busy day to talk about this important issue. Hey, Charlie. Hey, Adam. How are you? Very well, thanks. Good. Well, you know, in this, in this new connected world, privacy and intrusive technology uh, are things that, that a lot of folks are concerned with. And in the area of personal injury, claims, unfortunately, that becomes part of the process, and that is surveillance. It's a big part of going through the claim process, and indeed, Big Brother can be watching, and probably is, or at least your insurance company can be watching you. So when somebody claims a worker's compensation disability and maintains that they can't work, what will the insurance company do to try to disprove that claim? And how do they use surveillance? Surveillance is part of the overall um, concept of investigation. And any claimant can be sure that the insurance company is going to undertake an investigation. And that can involve a number of different elements. Surveillance is one. Independent medical examination is another, for example. Surveillance has been going on for, for many years in, in my experience, uh, Surveillance is typically done by a private investigator hired by an insurance company to do an activity check. To make sure you are injured. To make sure a person is as disabled or limited as they claim. Certainly, uh, if an injured worker is working when they are receiving temporary total incapacity benefits, that's a huge problem. It's not simply damaging for a claim. It can be the basis for an allegation of fraud. And that's rare. What the insurance company is most often looking for is a claimant engaging in physical activity that's inconsistent with their claim of disability. So, for example, if a claimant 
has limitations of no lifting more than five pounds as ordered by their doctor. And that claimant is videotaped at a gym with a barbell in excess of five pounds, it could be a problem. Anything like that, any inconsistency has to be explained. There could be an explanation, but oftentimes the picture is damaging and no amount of context can make that understandable for a judge. Sure. What's the likelihood uh, an insurance company is going to send an investigator to do surveillance? I've talked to insurance company lawyers uh, on the other side of cases who say that if a claim goes on more than several weeks, there's about a 100% chance that some level of activity check is going to be done. Wow. So what kind of things are they looking for? Obviously, they want to take a look at whether or not you're being truthful in what you say you can and cannot do. Uh, How do they do that? Can they uh, come onto your property? Can they use photographic means? How do they go about collecting that that information? Um, Let me give you kind of an overview from from what I have seen when investigators produce information in the, in a worker's compensation case. The first thing that happens is the insurance company adjuster hires an investigator or a company. The adjuster provides the name, address, other biographical information about the claimant. The investigator then begins a search online these days of any kind of information about the claimant. An investigator might start with uh, a check of public records, for example, real estate records, business records, anything that might uh, show the name of the claimant. So, for example, if uh, an investigator checks the Secretary of State's office and finds that the name of the claimant is associated with a company, a DBA, Uh, as as an owner or an officer. That might lead to further information that the injured worker has business interests. And that curiosity on the part of the investigator can lead to then ferreting out of other information, all designed to question whether the injured worker has the capability to do work. So, for example, uh, if, if a worker is doing construction for a company and is injured on the job, but they discover that he has a separate contracting company on the side, they'll know potentially that he has the opportunity to work on the side at his business. Potentially. Or another example might be that a construction worker has a side gig as a disc jockey and the construction worker has um, some um, DBA status, doing business as status, has, a, has an actual company, but the disc jockey earns money because the disc jockey is unable to do his construction labor job because of an injury, mm. but is able to um, do some weekend uh, wedding uh, or party gigs. That's a problem. And if an investigator is able to get onto that information, um, it can be really troublesome. And sometimes that kind of thing happens because the injured worker is simply unaware that being involved in another activity could compromise their worker's compensation case because the injured worker thinks, well, I, it's clear everybody concedes I can't do my construction labor job. So what is it 
that causes a problem if I'm able to spin records on a weekend for two hours. Right. Uh, and that could it, be anything from lifting speakers and, and that kind of thing to even just the money that they make going against the potential claim, correct? That's right. It's the earning, mm-hmm. not the physical activity alone that can create the problem. But a lot of surveillance is directed at um, the, the observation of a claimant. So they start with a record check. They'll look at social media postings, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, or what have you, but then on to the individual's physical location. So the investigator might find the place where the injured worker lives and then stake it out like on TV, just park a car and wait for the injured worker to appear And then the investigator will observe the injured worker and videotape any kind of activity that appears to be inconsistent with a claim of incapacity to earn. So if you're outside, you know, trimming your hedges or if you're playing ball with your kid or something like run your roof, cleaning out your gutters. If you're at Costco uh, buying product and you carry a a case of water out to the car, that injured worker uh, could have that information disclosed to a judge if the insurance company thinks that activity is inconsistent with the claim of incapacity to earn or physical disability. In one of our other episodes, uh, Mike Cotteropoli, one of our attorneys, uh, had quoted Don Blakesley as saying, if you're going to go buy a six pack of beer, carry it in one can at a time. (laughs) (laughs) Now, can they, uh, you know, obviously everybody's concerned about privacy. Can they come onto your property? No, that's trespassing. Okay, so they have to do it from from a distance or if you're in a public place. Correct. But with today's technology, you you can only imagine the capability they have to videotape a person from a great distance. Mm -hmm. Um, I have seen incredible feats of uh, investigation uh, that my uh, client had no idea uh, was happening because the person because the investigator was so far away. Uh, and had such technology that was able to document what was happening. Now, sometimes that's it, it's useless. It's completely innocuous uh, activity. But sometimes if, if a person, an injured worker is doing something, even at, at, on a day, on a good day, for a brief moment, that, some, that seems to someone to be inconsistent with a claim of disability, you could imagine that that's going to be blown up on a 27-inch television screen for a judge. Mm. And then that has to be explained. Are they allowed to, if they're not on your property, let's say they're in the street, are they allowed to videotape into your home through a window? Um, I would say that if the person is in public, uh, yes. But if the person is not in public, no. So uh, there's no trespassing. uh, And if... For example, an injured worker's on the porch and visible from the street, a picture could be taken. Videotape could be taken. If the person is in their kitchen and is not observable from the street, then I would say no. That information cannot be obtained by the investigator. I guess my question is, what if they're in their kitchen and visible from the street, right? So you're in your kitchen, you're lifting a giant lobster pot. Yes. And the investigator's in the street, not on your property. That counts as something he can... I would say yes. That okay. person's in public view. What about um, recording conversations? No. Are they allowed to do that? No. 
not without the permission of the person being recorded. In fact, it's a crime in Massachusetts for someone to surreptitiously record. Actually, it's called intercept uh, communication by electronic or other means. So without you, you can't tape somebody without their knowledge. You certainly can't record someone without their permission. So that would be uh, off limits. So you don't have to worry about your phones being tapped or? No. Now, can they get records from your uh, phone company that would put you in certain locations? Or is that something they would, they would probably need a court order for something like that? Uh, you would hope. Yeah. Uh, you would hope, since law enforcement, I think, has to do that, you would expect a private investigator to have to do that. Uh, I would expect that a, a, a telephone company would be very apprehensive to provide that kind of private information about um, somebody's about personal information. Yeah. However, if there's a, an order from a judge um, to disclose that information uh, and it's properly sought by an insurance company or the other way around, frankly, in a contested liability case, could the employee try to secure that kind of information to document their presence at a location where an accident occurred? Yeah. Yeah. And with a judicial order, that information may be able to be accessed. What about, uh, you know, so we've said that they can, they can document your actions uh, outside in your yard, mm-hmm. uh, in a store, somewhere public. Can they follow you in their car? Yes. I think that would be probably something that, you know, we see that on TV all the time, but that would be potentially um, difficult for people to, to get a handle on knowing that they're being followed. It's creepy. Yeah. And, but it's common. Uh, it is, it, it's, usual for the um, investigator to set up at the claimant's home and then to uh, to follow that claimant if the person departs in the car goes to the bank goes to the dunkin donuts goes to costco and then really frustrating for me as a parent is follows the person to their child's or their grandchild's game Mm. and stakes out that that kind of location now the investigator is supposed to check in with the local police department before the investigation begins so that law enforcement is aware that this person is lurking around. Because what I tell my clients to do it when they become aware of the presence of investigators to call the cops, call the police, especially if they're in a situation where, where, they are, where the injured worker is accompanied by children. Mm-hmm. Whether it's at home, in the yard, soccer game, what have you. Or I would think also if, if it's a woman yeah. and, you know, obviously now is this an investigator from the insurance company or is this a stalker? Is this some kind of creep? Right. I mean, that's got to be a very delicate situation. And I got to think it's, it's, it could be potentially very scary. It is. For somebody. The insurance company uh, investigator is supposed to check in. They don't always. But the first thing that I tell my clients is do not confront the person. Do not confront the investigator. You call local law enforcement and you have them, if, particularly if some activity has, has happened that really intimidates or threatens the injured worker. You call law enforcement. You do not confront the other person for a variety of reasons, for your own safety, but also so that you're not accused of, uh, of taking some action that, that – uh, could be a problem. And I think also knowing that this is going to happen. I mean, you said, you know, there's a hundred percent chance potentially that someone's going to follow you. That would make you at least more aware that this could potentially happen. 
if you're, you know, you're talking to your attorney, your attorney says, look, this is likely going to happen. Now, at least you're aware of it. And so if you do notice somebody, as you said, call the cops, but you may not have to worry as much as you would if you didn't know this was going to happen. Right. Yeah. We, uh, we say f- forewarned is forearmed. Sure. Um, to be prepared and know that it's, it's creepy, but it's part of the playbook. Uh, just as an independent medical examination is part of the insurance company, the defense attorney's playbook. It's likely to happen. You just have to be prepared for it. You have to be able to conduct yourself appropriately and not create additional problems for yourself um, by uh, acting inappropriately when, when, when dealing with these situations. Let's talk a little bit about social media. You know, all of us have Facebook pages or maybe we're on Instagram or TikTok. And um, I, I have to think that that is something that an investigator would look very closely at because people like to post what they're doing. <laughs> Right. And so is that that's fair game, I would think. Huh? It's a treasure trove of information for an investigator, depending upon how active uh, a person is on social media. Yeah. And um, again, context is really important. A person could have a picture uh, of themselves holding a 35 pound striper that they caught in Nantucket Sound seven years ago. But if it's on the post as though it happened yesterday, it's a problem and it's got to be a Explained. Right. On the other hand, if it's a 35 pound striper that was caught yesterday and the per- and the injured worker has li- limitations of no lifting more than five pounds, it's going to be a problem. And it's self posted. It's self authenticated. Um, so it, it, that kind of information isn't even investigated. It is self published. So. It's, it's a problem uh, for, for people because, again, context is really important. A person having a good day at the beach out of 364 crappy ones, if that's the day that the investigator is, is around, it's, it, the information is going to be out of context and it's not going to be fully representative of what the injured worker's day-to-day life is really like. I always say self-imposed hardship is no hardship at all. <laughs> now, what about for, for someone who thinks they're being smarter than, right? And so they're, they're going to put something on Facebook, but, but their Facebook account is, quote, private, or at least only available to their friends. Yeah. How do investigators get around that? Can they get around that? I don't know how they get around it, but I know they get they around do. it. Yeah. People, I have had people, my clients tell me, I don't know how they got that. It's it's a private, it's private. I don't either, but here it is. Here's, here's 90 pages of pictures from f- Facebook. Yeah. And now we've got to explain what all of that stuff means. Somebody once told me that uh, never put anything online that you wouldn't expect to see in the front page of the, the Springfield paper. Are you comfortable with uh, all the world to see? And I think this is good advice, regardless of whether or not you're, you're under surveillance from an insurance company. Definitely. You know, in this incredibly um, open age of information, uh, it's true. I mean, you have to be very judicious about what you put out there about yourself. I have heard that uh, about young people applying for for jobs. Jobs, right. uh, That uh, prospective employers do similar kinds of checking and kids with, uh, you know, red solo cups on social media – can create problems for themselves um, for prospective employers. I think that's going far, but it's an issue. Sure. And it's, again, it's 
self-posted, self-authenticated information. It's not something that somebody dug up and had to kind of fashion in order to create a problem for a, for a claimant. So I'm sure you've seen cases uh, where the information presented by an investigator is pretty difficult to explain to a judge. I have. Um, I've. I've had situations that requ- I've had situations that um, my client has had to explain. Again, I use the same phrase over and over again. And I apologize, but explain or give context so that what is being seen by the judge is um, surrounded by a bunch of circumstances, um, and sometimes the judge understands, but sometimes the information is so vivid that there's no explanation that the judge is going to buy. Yeah. On the other hand, I've had a surveillance product videotape of people that I think is completely uh, benign, that is harmless to the injured worker. Um, you know, a person walking uh, on a street is not going to be harmful to that person's case unless they've claimed that they cannot walk. So the, the information detected by the investigator has to be um, contradictory to what the injured worker is saying about their capability to do physical stuff or other stuff for it to be really harmful to the case, in my view. So something like if, uh, you know, and, and I would think because rehab requires oftentimes someone to do some exercise or some mobility to try to strengthen the, uh, you know, injury. Right. Um, and so context is everything. And that's a perfect example. If a, if a guy is over at LA fitness, uh, and working out, it doesn't necessarily that in and of itself doesn't mean right. that the person's not disabled. The person could be there under the direction of a doctor and, um, and doing the things that are necessary to recover. On the other hand, um, if if the guy's over there looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger, it's a different. That really dates me. That um, <laughs> that can be a real can be a real problem yeah. for that injured for that injured worker. The other thing about surveillance is that um, it's a snapshot, oftentimes. So even if a person is videotaped on their street walking happily on a beautiful string, spring day. It doesn't mean that's reflective of seven days a week, 12 months a year, 365 days. People have good days and bad days. Even people with debilitating chronic pain have an occasional day where they feel like they've got to get out of the cabin. And if that's the day that the, the investigator is present and videotapes, or even if that's the day out of many days of surveillance that the detective chooses to videotape and then produce to the insurance company that information, it's not reflective of what that person's true capability to work and earn is. So that's, that's the sort of a context that has to be explained. Now, we'd all love to avoid having to give such explanations, but when that kind of thing happens, the judge is going to hear all sides of the story from the injured worker. 
the picture is not in and of itself harmful. It's the it's the picture if it is inconsistent and not explainable. Not in context. Yeah. Picture itself is not determinative. I mean, I think all of this goes to the bigger point of why it's so important not to go into a workers' compensation case alone. You know, why you need to have a qualified, experienced advocate by your side. There's just too much that can go wrong. Well, and, and I think the topic of surveillance indicates to me so forcefully that workers' compensation is an adversarial system. It's a dispute system. The insurance company is not in the corner of the injured worker. And the idea that surveillance happens in almost every case where the disability lasts for longer than a month is indicative of the fact that the insurance company is not going to trust the injured worker and take the injured worker at their word. It's an adversarial system. And so an injured worker should be uh, advised, should be fully aware of, of what happens in these kinds of cases should be informed of what the realities are so that the injured worker can act accordingly. You know, we're talking about this in the context of injured workers and workers' compensation. Is this applicable to other forms of personal injury law? So, Absolutely. for example, somebody's in a, in a car accident. Absolutely. And says they can't move their, their neck and they're looking for Absolutely. compensation. Yeah. Yes. And in, in, in any kind of a personal injury matter, um, surveillance is available to the to the insurance company or the to the defense counsel who's representing the interests of the insurance company or a defendant but in workers compensation it happens frequently yeah well this is all uh, fascinating information and you're right it, it's not a little creepy but it's certainly something that people need to be aware of charlie castatello from psrb if you want to contact charlie you can do so by uh Calling our phone number, 800-75-5399. PSRBlaw.com is where you find us online. And you could even email him personally at ccastertello at pellegrinisili.com. Thanks, Charlie. You're welcome, Adam. It was a pleasure. 